0: Hey, good morning, Faith Church friends and family. Happy Father's Day to you! Uh, I'm coming to you on a special pre-recorded devotion. Um, today is Father's Day, and, and we are joining with two other churches to celebrate Father's Day on a something we're calling Dad Fest 2020. And uh, it started 8:30 this morning, and, and may, many of you were able to attend, and some of you weren't able to attend. And so we wanted to make sure we got this. Uh, message to you, anyways, and wanted to share a uh, kind of a, a short devotion with you here on this Father's Day. Uh, we've been in a collection of messages entitled "The Illustrations of Jesus," and um, we've been looking at the different stories and parables that Jesus told to illustrate what God is like, the kingdom of God is like, and to illustrate our part that we play in the kingdom of God. And today, I want to read a, a parable from Luke 15 it's likely one very familiar with you uh, but Luke 15 it's known as the parable of the lost son or often told as the prodigal son and uh, we find it in Luke 15 we're going to start in verse 11 and read all the way through it so hang with me ready let's let's read this Jesus continued there was a man who had two sons The younger said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. Uh, After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be... In need, So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that even the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to even be called your son. Please make me one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. I love this phrase. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm I'm not worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupted him and said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and, and put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and let's kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. So they all began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, hey, what's going on? The brother, your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. And refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he has answered his father, Look, all these things I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you gave me even, you've never even given me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when his son, when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill a fattened calf just for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. He was lost, but now he is found. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the reading of your word. I pray, Lord, you give us ears to hear what you're saying to us today would you stir our hearts illuminate truth and allow us to encounter the heart of god today in a fresh way in jesus name we pray amen uh on this father's day i I think it's so fun um i don't know what your relationship with your dad's like i don't know uh, the kind of home that you grow up in, but oftentimes uh, dads are known for great stories, aren't they? Like your dad could tell you an awesome bedtime story, or or maybe your mom was able to really just tell you the, like the greatest stories of all. And uh, that wasn't really a pattern in my my family, like bedtime routine growing up. It, it wasn't something to where. Um, that was a pattern where we had a bedtime story, anything like that. But I do remember a story that my dad told me that always made me just kind of laugh. And it kind of epitomizes uh, even dad's sense of humor, if you will. And and the story goes like this. My dad and his brothers were camping with their family and they were young. And uh, while they were camping, they also were camping with another one of their families. So there are two families all camping in in the same area. And uh, some of the, the boys were all out playing in the woods, and all of a sudden, one of the boys from the other family came running into the campground screaming and crying, and uh, the parents were like, what happened, what happened, what happened? And they were like, they hit me with a stick, and one of my dad's brothers had hit this young boy with a stick, and when my grandparents uh, questioned one of my uncles, and they said, why Why did you hit them with a stick, and they just looked up with to their parents and said, but but mom, it was a soft stick. And uh, I think that's so. Uh, it made that story makes me laugh so much because it epitomizes uh, so much of the humor that exists in my family. But it was a soft stick, right? And kids and their innocence and all of these things. But the reality of it all is every time my dad would tell us that story, I just got a good chuckle and laugh. I think stories help us understand things in life and and parents will tell us stories to help us understand and Jesus is telling us a story here in Luke 15 to help us understand some some things. And uh, here's here's what I know about you today, that there are are two types of people watching this right now. Two, uh, those of you that have experienced the pain of rejection and those of you that will one day experience the pain of rejection. But the reality is, rejection comes for all of us. And this story that Jesus told, if if you look closely, it is a story that has so many themes and elements and components to it. But I want you to understand one thing, that the father had to deal with rejection. There was some rejection existing in this, and there's a pain that shows up. And and all of us have to experience this. We all do on different levels. Think, Think about it. Uh, When it came to gym class, were you picked towards the end uh, for dodgeball? Maybe you weren't picked at all. That's a bit of rejection. Have you ever been dumped by a boyfriend or a girlfriend? It's a part of rejection. Being turned down for a job or a promotion. Being denied a home loan. Having been told by your spouse, I have a headache. Rejection. The creative idea that you had for your work that got slammed down by your manager, rejection. Not invited to the fishing trip that all of your buddies got to go in, rejection. you ever had a parent walk out on the family and rejected you for a different life? It's rejection. We all face rejection. Rejection is something real. It's real because in order to really experience love, we have to be willing to risk rejection. See, it's only because people have a choice to love or reject that we even know what love is. See, if we were all robots made to do what we want others to do and there was no choice in the matter, then there would be no risk. But if there was no risk, there would also be no love. And if there was no love, there would never be any rejection. It is a package deal. See, rejection is a required risk that we all take if we are ever going to experience and receive real love. Researchers have found that the same areas of our brain that light up in an MRI machine when we experience rejection is the same areas that light up when we experience physical pain. That's why rejection can feel like a punch in the gut, like a knife in our heart. You're literally using the same part of your brain when you hurt yourself physically as when you experience the pain of real rejection. Rejection is real. And we have to deal with the rejection. We can't just dismiss it. We can't be dismissive of it and say it's not a big deal. I don't really care. As men, oftentimes, when we experience rejection, we don't want to call it rejection. We just call it a, a, a bad decision. We call it unfortunate. We, we classify it in all sorts of different ways to diminish the reality of the pain that we might feel. And at the end of the day, bitterness can grow, and nothing grows quicker than a disappointed man when he's making advances at his wife. That disappointment is real, and the rejection exists. Or when you get turned down for the job after applying again and again and again, being looked over for the promotion again and again and again, not feeling like you can provide for your family again and again and again, or having to wrestle with the reality that your kids don't want anything to do with you now that you are older and you've tried to make amends, they've rejected you because of decisions you made years ago. Rejection is real. We have to face it. We have to deal with it. We can't downplay it nor can we diminish it Uh, if we downplay it or we diminish it we do one of two things we are in danger of repeating it ourselves where we reject other people or we isolate ourselves and grow in a deep place of dark loneliness where we are unknown misunderstood always and we grow a hard heart again This fear or sensitivity to rejection that we all have to deal with um, can cause someone to pull away from other people. And it leads to chronic feelings of loneliness and depression. Is it possible that the amount of loneliness and depression we experience in our world today is directly connected to the pain of rejection that we have just been dismissing rather than dealing with? C.S. Lewis said it like this. Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. There is a pain that many people experience in our lives. Jesus told us this parable, I believe, not to help us see ourselves as a prodigal son, and not just to see us as the older son who is self-righteous and religious and um, arrogant and conceited and um, unempathetic and lacking compassion and judgmental and critical, not to see ourselves in that way, but to help us also see the heart of what a true, loving, heavenly father looks like. How. We will reject God ourselves, but God never rejects us. We see here in the story of the lost son in Luke 15 that Jesus told, we see that the father faced rejection. The son came to him and said, I I want you to give me everything that I'm owed. I want my inheritance now. Essentially what he was saying was, I wish you were dead and not in my life. That's this thing of rejection. And the father had a decision to make. He could have grown in resentment. He could have grown in bitterness. He could have, in turn, repeated the pattern and rejected his own son. But the father did something totally different. We see it at the end of the story that while the son went away and was rebellious and lived his prodigal life and Wasted the money and, and, and ended up at the bottom of the barrel of his life and hit the end of it. His father consistently was always at the porch watching for the day, the moment he would maybe see his son return. He was waiting and waiting and waiting. And when the son finally started to come home, the father runs to him before the the scripture says, while he was still a long ways away, the father with the purest of heart, the forgiveness already decided, runs to the son and embraces him and doesn't let him go off on his spiel about being some servant. He immediately restores him and redeems him, and says, you are my son. The father faced rejection, but gave redemption instead. That's the first thing I want you to see from this story, is that when you are rejected, you have an opportunity to either respond in, in a way that leads to reconciliation and redemption, or you have a choice to grow in resentment. The choice is ours, but we cannot ignore it. We can't diminish it or dismiss it. We have to make a choice. What are we going to do when we face rejection? Grow cold, grow a hard heart, get more angry, more bitter, more more self-righteous? Or are we going to do something different and allow reconciliation and restoration to take place? The father faced rejection, but he gave redemption instead. Let's look at the younger son for a minute. The younger son faced great regret. I mean, he was rebellious, he made a choice. He, he decided to take the money and run to a faraway land to get as far away from his dad, to get as far away from his parents, to get as far away from his family history, to get as far away from that life as he possibly could. And he did so in a rebellious, cold way. And at the end of his life, he found himself in a place that no Jewish person would ever want to be. He was a pig herdsman he was there with the swine, feeding the pigs, taking care of the pigs. You have to remember that for a Jew, a pig was unclean. It was the lowest of low jobs. It was an animal that existed, but they couldn't eat it. It was, it was anti-everything of their spiritual upbringing and their understanding of what is wholesome and clean. It was, it was the bottom of the bottom And he found himself not only working among the pigs, but needing food, and nobody was there to help him. He felt alone. He felt rejected. He felt himself isolated. And he was full of regret. So much regret that he decided to go back to his dad's and decided that he was so full of shame, so full of remorse, that he decided that maybe, just maybe, my dad would let me be a servant. Because even my dad's servants get treated better than this right now. They get food. They have clothes. They don't have to eat what the pigs eat. They they get to eat real food. They they get paid a wage that allows them to learn. I'm I'm not worthy to, to be a son, but let me at least go back and be a slave or a servant. I think many of us approach God this way, don't we? We feel so much regret of our past sins that we don't feel worthy enough to be called sons of God. We just want to consider ourselves slaves of God, servants of God, where if we can do enough good works, then maybe God would repay us with an access to heaven. Maybe he would repay us with answering our prayers. And and, and so we get in these moments where God's not answering our prayers or where he seems distant in our lives. and, And we think that maybe it's because of our behavior that's canceled out our relationship. And if we would change our behavior and get better and do more and serve more and be more and and read our Bible more, then maybe, just maybe, we could be worthy to be called sons or servants again. We don't don't need to be the, the, the most blessed. We just don't want to be cursed anymore. And the reality is the son had faulty thinking. The son thought incorrectly. See, because he was never good enough. It was never worth It was never anything he could do. You can't earn your way into sonship. It's a given gift from God. For by grace we have been saved through faith. It is a gift from God. The prodigal son faced regret. And as he comes running home, the father runs to meet him. And the father does something really, really interesting. Interrupts the son. The son starts his spiel. It's been well rehearsed. Um, Dad, I, I've really sinned. I've screwed it up bad. I, I, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Let me be a hired servant. As he gets into the story, the father doesn't even let him finish doesn't even hear him out, doesn't wait for him to ask for forgiveness, doesn't care. He immediately restores him as a son, and he does three really, really distinct things. He gives him a robe, he gives him a ring, and he puts shoes on his feet. Each of those represents something all through scripture. I'll give them to you real quick And you can think about this, the robe was a recognition of a place of right standing in the family. In other words, scripture tells us all through that a robe often represents our righteousness or our worth. And so we, as followers of Jesus, when we repent and we come to our heavenly father and and we we put ourselves in his place and and we we recognize that what Christ did at the cross for us, he comes and he clothes us in Christ. We are no longer uh, sinners. We are clothed in a robe of righteousness. We're not unrighteous. We become righteous. We, we get this robe that is clothing us in the person of Jesus. And so the Bible says we are hidden now in Christ. We are clothed in his righteousness. We are restored to a proper place in the family. It was a place of value, a place of understanding. It was a robe that represented the righteousness, the worthiness of the family. And then he gives him a ring. A ring represents the authority. A ring represents the power that comes behind the name of a family. Uh, the, the ring was a family signet ring that, that identified something of authority and power and that if you saw the ring, you knew that they carried the same authority as the, the, the head of the family. In other words, even though he had squandered so much, the father still gave him everything. Still gave him the authority to live as a son, not as a servant, but somebody who commanded and ruled and could now help steward everything that the Father owned. Isn't that true of what God's done for us? That when we repent and we come to Him, He not only clothes us in righteousness, but He gives us the authority, that same authority that Jesus had, He gives to us. Jesus looked at his disciples and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm giving it to you as sons and heirs in the family of God. And then he gives them shoes. This is kind of an interesting one, but, but shoes all through scripture have a meaning. And typically, the only people that wore shoes were those who were free. It was the servants and the slaves that had to walk around barefoot. In other words, shoes represented the rights that you have. And if you take off your shoes, you are taking off your rights. If you are putting on your shoes, that means you are now wearing your rights so think about the story of moses when he comes to the burning bush god says moses i want you to take off your shoes because you're on holy ground it wasn't a moment just of holiness it was in a moment for moses to recognize i'm laying aside my rights as i come into your presence See, when we come into God's presence, oftentimes the the choice to follow Jesus is a choice to lay down our rights and to take up a cross and follow after Jesus. But in our denying of ourselves and following Jesus, God returns back to us a freedom and a joy and the privileges of heaven, and he gives them to us. See, the prodigal son faced great regret But instead, he found restoration. That's the second thing I want you to see today, that the prodigal son faced regret, but he found restoration instead. You might be here and listening to this and full of regret. Can I just tell you that if you will take your regret to the Lord, your heavenly Father isn't waiting to to punish you. He's waiting to restore you. And if you will take your regret to the Father... He will restore you instead. He's not going to reject you like you may have rejected him. No, he's going to restore you instead. The third person in this story that we see is the older son. And the older son faced his own set of issues. I'm not going to take too long on this, but I think it's worth pointing out that For many of us, we will find ourselves relating more to the older son than we do. Maybe the younger son who was prodigal and wild and lived in this rebellious, ungodly way. See, the older son, he had to deal with something different. He had to deal with his own resentment. He resented the father for being generous to the son who lost everything. And he resented the son for being the beneficiary of something that he believed was owed him the fact that this son is in the story causes us to confront the possibility that we as followers of Jesus who remain on the family farm in the house can grow cold and hard-hearted toward the very mercy of God shown to other people where we think to ourselves They can't receive Jesus on their deathbed. They haven't lived life with God. They shouldn't get the same reward I get. They shouldn't get the same treatment I get. I've been in the house of God. I've served God my entire life, and yet my mom gets cancer. And these other people who just repent, and they live their life in a wild way, they repent, come to God, and it's like they get the job, they get the marriage, they get the car, and life works out great for them. It's not fair. And we look around in our lives and we feel like we are owed something and resentment. We want punishment for other people. We want banishment from the family of God. And we want people to immediately admit that they are guilty and wrong. And so we stand in a seat of judgment towards other people. And I think we have to confront that in our own heart. If you've been a follower of Jesus, I would say for any length of time, we have to be willing to confront the possibility that maybe, just maybe, our heart has grown cold. You see somebody get water baptized and you think to yourselves, well, we'll see what fruit really shows up in their life. We'll see if it really matters. We'll see if it just took, they just prayed a prayer. It didn't really probably mean anything. They're going to be right back to the same old people that they were. And we start to judge and criticize. And we want them to jump through all of these hoops before they are restored to their proper place in the family of God. We want them to prove themselves before they receive grace. The only problem is, is that's not the way of God. And that's not how the kingdom of God looks. We have to be willing to confront this false idea that's easily seeping into our own lives, that people have to earn the grace from God, that it's some sort of spiritual entitlement at work in our own hearts, and we have to be willing to confront it. His refusal to go into the party is something that I always notice. You see, because for me, I am the older son. I never really experienced a life far away from God and prodigal living. Sure, I've sinned. Sure, there's things that I regret in my past, and I've had to deal with my own regret. And every time I've dealt with my own regret, God has met me with loving restoration. But you know what's been really hard is to undo the resentment that grows in my heart, to undo the own pain of my own self-righteousness, to do, uh, to reset my mind to not think like a Pharisee, but to think like a father. See, for me, I always recognize the older son because I carry a weight of responsibility. I'm a responsible person. I take responsibility for my own life, my own actions for people around me. I I believe that that for every action, there's opposite and equal reactions. I believe in seed and harvest, and we reap what we sow. And if I'm not careful, I can easily allow my heart to creep over to a place of refusing to go into the party because I want them to earn it. But grace can never be earned. Grace can only be given. And what I noticed in this story, that the the son refused to go into the party to celebrate, but the father still goes to him too. Like the father ran to the lost son, the father walks out on the party to sit with the son in his own resentment. See, the older son faced resentment, but when he found in his father was goodness instead. Friends, if you are facing your own resentment, can I tell you, when you come to the father, you won't find rejection. He's not going to reject you or be resentment towards you. No, the father is going to help you experience his goodness too. So the father tells the older son, son, all that I own? It's yours. All the things that you're, you're, you're upset that you don't have, it's because it's already yours. Have you not seen the goodness that I'm giving to you too? Here's the last thing I want you to know, and that's this. You have a redeeming, forgiving, and good heavenly Father. It doesn't matter if you've rejected Him, walk through rebellion, or have resentment in your heart. You have a father who wants to redeem you, a father that wants to forgive you, and a heavenly father that wants to show his goodness to you. You are invited to the feast. The roast of the beef is already cooking. He's waiting on you to turn to him. How does the father deal with rejection? He doesn't grow in resentment he doesn't grow in bitterness he decides to move in a direction of reconciliation he has a pure love and a pure heart how does the father in the story respond to being rejected he returns goodness in that moment he returns forgiveness in that moment he buys back and provides a full redemption, giving a robe, a ring of authority, and shoes of permanence and freedom that he gives to us. We are all invited to this feast. When we face rejection, we can either respond from a place of resentment or redemption. When your wife gives you that headache excuse, you can respond in a serving, loving way, or you can respond with disappointment and bitterness. When you don't get the promotion at work, you can respond and get resentful towards your boss, or you can just choose to continue to move forward in a reconciliation in a way that says, that's okay, I'm not going to allow this to sting in my my life. I've been loved, I've been forgiven, I'm going to keep moving forward you always have a choice you can live gripped by fear and then isolate your life you could repeat the pattern and just fine I'm going to reject them see if I care I don't need them I don't need anybody or do you stay soft and acknowledge it before the Lord and bring it to the Father where you will find your own forgiveness where you will find your own redemption where you will find your own taste of the goodness of God I pray we would all have the humility to respond like the Father, that we would have the faith to say, God, this hurts, but I'm going to move forward in the relationship anyways. I'm not going to allow it to taint or hurt. There's a practice in the first century Judaism called kazaza. It was a common practice, a ceremony, if you will. And the ceremony would would look like this. If a son lost his inheritance among Gentiles and, and, and foolish living, then as he returned home, the relatives and the community members would immediately surround him in the town square and smash pots in front of him, breaking them loudly, shouting things like, you are now cut off from your people. And he would be rejected from his family and community forever. I believe this is why the Father, in this story that Jesus told, ran to the Son. Before any shame could show up from someone from the outside before rejection should settle into his son's heart from other family members and before news got out of all of the other things the father was gonna come cover the sin with forgiveness and righteousness restore the authority of the family by putting a ring on his finger and establish him as a son with full freedom and access in the family by putting shoes on his feet this is why the the father ran see a father of that standing in that stature would never run because it would be seen as undignified but the father ran humiliating himself so his son would never experience that humiliation Jesus would go to the cross and experience humiliation dying on the cross being beaten for the sins of humanity so that you don't have to live in shame humiliated and separated from god forever rejected as a part of the family of god because your sin is separating you from god Friends, what Jesus did at the cross and what we celebrate at the Feast of the Table of Communion is an understanding that Jesus was rejected so you can be accepted. We come to the table and we recognize that the the blood washes us and cleanses us from our sins so that we don't have to be separated and rejected from the family of God, but we can be accepted as a part of the family of God. I don't know what your family upbringing was like. I don't know what your father was like, but I, I, have a, I have a sneaking suspicion that your view of your heavenly Father has perhaps tainted your view of your heavenly Father. How God looks, how God looks in your eyes and your mind probably has a huge part because of how you experienced life with your own earthly Father. There is no perfect father on earth, but there is a perfect heavenly father. And when we reject, when we deal with our own pain, when we walk away in rebellion, when we live with resentment, he still shows up in a loving, forgiving, grace-filled way, giving us his goodness. I don't know where you're at with the Lord. I don't know where you're at with faith. Maybe sin has been running rampant in your life. And today you are realizing for the first time that God has run towards you. And because of what Jesus did at the cross, he's wanting to cover your shame. So you don't have to live rejected from the family of God. But instead, because of what Jesus does at the cross and our faith in that, and in choosing to deny ourselves and follow him instead, we can be a part of the family of God where he gives us a robe of righteousness. He gives us the authority of his name and his family, and he establishes us in a place of full freedom from our sin and past as we walk in the shoes that he has for us. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to encourage you to do it. Simply say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Make me clean on the inside. I admit that I'm a sinner. Wash me clean. I believe in what you did at the cross. It was for me. Take my shame and my sin, make me new on the inside. Make me a son or a daughter in your kingdom. Restore me through your salvation, in Jesus' name, amen. Church family, let's come to the Lord's table together. Hopefully you've got the elements out. We're taking communion together at each of these services during this collection. If you're ready, go ahead and take the bread. And uh, as you take the bread, um, take it remembering that his body was broken for you. It was was beaten for you. and, And do it remembering what he's done for you. And now the juice. Lord, we receive your forgiveness and your wholeness today. Thank you for running to us, covering our sin and shame, and restoring us to your family. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for watching today. Uh, Stay tuned for a couple quick announcements. Uh, We'll see you this coming Sunday, the 28th, live, in person, 930 and 11. Don't miss it. We'll also be streaming online as well. Uh, So you can tune in church online or join us here wherever you're here or you're there. Just know we are Faith Church together. We love you. We'll see you soon.